From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California. Stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Monday, April 20th. Today, racial and social inequities are becoming a theme of this pandemic. Early data from across the country suggest Black, Latino, and elderly people are dying at higher rates from COVID-19. Anecdotal evidence suggests the disparities are quite stark. Los Angeles District 8 Councilmember Marquise Harris-Dawson represents South L.A., and many of his constituents are from those very groups at high risk. His task is to make sure local, state, and federal officials do not forget about working-class communities, and not just his constituents, but all such folks across Southern California. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, council member, preliminary reports show that coronavirus is disproportionately impacting African Americans and Latinos all across the country, and in LA County is especially hitting African Americans hard in the death rate. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's like my grandmother used to say: "You pay now or pay later." We skimp on services and benefits for low-income communities of color, and the government saves a little money, or corporations save a little money, or business owners save a little money on the front end. You pay on the back end with the increased death rate and the highest cost you can pay, which is the loss of human life. Uh, I think African-American and Latino communities will continue to suffer from the virus, not because our bodies are different, not because the virus is stronger in us, but because of what we were forced to live through before the virus came. What's the takeaway you want the public, especially folks in California, the takeaway you want them to get from those stats? So every one of those little cuts that you do, every time you say, oh, well, we're going to do this service, but not if you're undocumented, or we're going to do this service, but it's going to be lesser quality in these particular neighborhoods. Every time that's done and equity is not taken into account, there's a price to be paid. And sometimes you see the price and sometimes you don't. This is one of the times where it's laid bare for all the world to see. How are your constituents doing right now? How are they feeling about all of this? You know, our constituents are having a tough time. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty talking about inequities, you know, in the, in the very beginning, there was uh, not testing available. So it seemed like all the cases were in Brentwood and the Pacific Palisades. And so folks, a few folks thought, well, maybe it's that we can't get it. No, it was that we weren't getting tested. And so like everything, it's a constant fight, but also like everything, people are pulling together, working together uh, and doing it in a way that I think will sustain us in the best possible way. Yeah, it's like some folks say, if the government's not going to do it, it's going to be the neighborhoods and the streets are going to get together and do it. And that's that's what's happening, uh, whether it's delivering food to each other, setting up public safety watches, setting up phone trees, uh, folks taking turns doing walks and bike rides through the neighborhoods just to do a, a welfare check on their neighbors, uh, particularly seniors that are homebound. Uh, that's the kind of thing you see happening spontaneous all over South L.A., I was going to ask you that. One of the first actions you did was try to get South L.A. restaurants to get together to help out uh, senior citizens, especially. So, yeah, we had some events that we knew we were going to have to cancel. You know, we had our our Pride event in South L.A. We had our Mother's Day event. Uh, We have a jazz event. We knew those events were not likely to happen. So we quickly shuttled those funds into a program that could do two things. One, make sure our seniors got good healthy meals, hot meals delivered to them a few times a week so we can make it easy for them to abide by the stay-at-home order and suggestion. Also, South LA had been a food desert and we had all these groups that had saved their pennies, 
developed really great visions and recently opened up restaurants and cafes. And so we were able to contract with those cafes to provide meals to seniors. And, and the Lyft Corporation came in with a huge donation and said, we're going to pay drivers who live in your community to go to these restaurants, pick the meals up and take them to their neighbors. And so that's the kind of cooperation, both social, economic and political, that I think is the hallmark of South L.A. You're talking about these inequities in food deserts, but then you hear stories about how farmers across the country, they're dumping millions of gallons of milk because they say they can't sell it or they're letting produce, fruits and vegetables rot or just throw it away. Uh, I saw a a farmer dig a grave basically for thousands of pounds of onions. And like it's, it's just sad for me to see like all this. All, all this food being wasted and then places like South L.A., food deserts where people are needing all of that food. Well, it's, you know, it's not only uh, sad, it's maddening. It's the folly of our system, but also the just backwards incompetence on display. And it has such a high human toll. Now, everybody knows almost every school in the United States is closed. If you don't have a place to store vegetables in your regular commercial settings, store the food at the schools, make the schools distribution sites for food. I mean, this stuff is easy. All our colleges and universities have huge kitchens, industrial sized kitchens. And, uh, um, I, you know, I was I watched on TV as a farmer said, well, we have milk, but we don't have anybody that can refrigerate it. There are millions and millions of cubic square feet of refrigeration sitting idle right now in this country and our silly national government does not have the ability or common sense to intervene on behalf of its people. On the city council level, you've really been pushing, not just for your constituents, but really all working class constituents around L.A. You've been you know, asking for a temporary ban on utility shutoffs, also ban on evictions, protection for grocery store workers. Uh, talk about that. Look, uh, I think it's two things. I think, one, if you're out of work, you're not going to be able to pay rent. Whether the landlord has the right to evict you or not is a different question. But we just think the the idea that we're going to make people homeless because they lost their job in this coronavirus is silly. So we push for an eviction moratorium. You know, this this whole stay at home order is really largely a class function. The folks who do the jobs, whether it's our, our grocery store workers, our healthcare workers, our, our transportation workers, even our construction workers, they can't stay home. You can't leave a building half built. You can't get resources from one place to another without these folks showing up to work. And so we say, if they're going to show up to work, they ought to at least have the protection that they need in order to not get sick so that when they go back home to their family, that they feel like they can do that in a safe way. There's been fewer sadder things in this time period than healthcare workers or other workers who call and say, I live in a household with my mother and my small children. I'm going to work every day. I don't have protective equipment. I don't want to go home and make one of those folks sick. So they're virtually homeless even though they're not homeless. And so you say to employers, you got to step up. If you can't figure it out, we'll help you figure it out. But we cannot let our folks go into the line of fire without the protection they need. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
So, council member, as a politician, you're always busy. You're always getting requests, of course, from your constituents. What are they telling you right now? What are they needing? You know, folks really want to get testing. That's very, very important. Uh, Both renters and landlords are worried about keeping their property, holding on to their property. So landlords, their tenants can't pay rent. They still have bills that come due. And so they really want a program from the federal government, the same way the airlines are being protected and small businesses are being protected, that housing providers are being protected as well. They're also uh, have just a lot of questions. Which mask is the right mask? I heard, you know, this about these gloves and the other thing about these gloves. And again, testing, testing, testing. We need to move to the place where we have universal availability of testing, especially for people who have to go to work every day and come in contact with those who might be infected. If people want to get tested in South L.A., where can they go? Uh, You go on the city's website and there's a link and it will geocode you. So based on where you live, it will assign you to a testing location. We have one here in the 8th District at Crenshaw Christian Center at the corner of 76th and Vermont. And so that's the place where you can get uh, tested. It's a very easy process. Go online, sign up. You'll be given a time. Show up at that time. You don't even have to get out of your car in order to get tested. Oh, wow. Uh, Do you think the new stay-at-home order that goes through May 15th, does that make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. I've seen modeling that shows if we ended the stay-at-home order, over 75% of Californians and L.A. County residents would be infected within three weeks. And so you just don't want to take that risk because while our our death rate is, is lower than most places, you still take a risk every time someone gets the virus. One of the things that's also happening, if people aren't working, if people can't paying rent, it's really affecting those working class communities, especially those uh, that were at risk of gentrification. And uh, my colleague, Angel Jennings, did this great story. Well, she wrote it great, but it's bittersweet about those businesses that you were talking about that had just started, folks from the neighborhood starting something now, just <laughs> their economic plan has been thrown out. So how do you see coronavirus affecting the future of South L.A.? Well, you know, I think South LA was at a very tenuous place where we felt like uh, investment was beginning to overrun the community and it was changing right in front of our eyes in a lot of ways that people felt like they had no interaction or control over. I think the virus, uh, uh, one, can exacerbate that problem, but it also can slow it down because I think the effectively the world economy has been put on pause, including the real estate market. And so I think we got to take this as an opportunity to step back, take stock, and figure out what our best strategy uh, to confront gentrification is. We can do small things like we've done with the restaurant program to make sure our restaurants stay in place at this time and their space and the market that they created isn't taken over by large corporations. But we also can do things to make sure we get the kind of housing we need that people can actually afford. So shout shout out some of those restaurants and cafes that are, of course, I mean, you could shout out all of them, but give a couple of examples of people going above and beyond right now. Just a Swift Cafe, sort of low sodium, low fat. They have vegan options, vegetarian options, but they're there on Crenshaw Boulevard. They're very new. They started off as caterers and cooking instructors, and they decided to open a restaurant because there were so few restaurants. And, And not three months later, they were hit with the shutdown order. They're supplying meals to seniors. And since they've been involved in our program, other organizations have called them and says, hey, can you provide meals to us? They also... Um, made a program where you can order 10 meals at a time that can be frozen and taken out on the day that you need it. And so they've opened up a whole new uh, area of business. There's a room coffee, there's hot and cool cafe, South LA cafe, Madeer's, Doolin's, Maria Marisco's, Mel's Fish Shack, 
Earl's Grill, just some of them community institutions that have been around forever that we all know and others, new businesses that have just sprung up in response to the food insecurity that that South L.A. sees. And then outside of the food, what are some of the like, like how's Esawan Books doing? You know, uh, Esawan Books and stores like that have a tough time. They've had to move as much of their uh, uh, work to the internet as they can. But businesses like that, it's really, really tough because their business, as you know, was based on bringing authors to the store, convening lots of people, selling books on the spot. And so uh, it's going to be tough for them. I, I, I really like the idea of having the online book clubs. A couple of those have sprung up. And we're hoping bookstores like Esawan can take advantage of that. Yeah, and a lot of great businesses in South L.A. that people should be supporting. And then finally, how are you personally holding up? Not as a council member, not as a politician, but as a man. As a man, it's tough. Uh, I feel like uh, I, I, I feel antsy, uh, definitely get cabin fever, probably around 11 o'clock every day. And so it's tough. Staying in is tough. And whenever there's a crisis, you want to be active. You want something to do. You want something physical to do. And I certainly feel that. And so it's it's uh, been very, very difficult. So, you know, we have our, our music and we try to make art and I bought a bicycle. Uh, so that helps out a, a little. But uh, I'll be very, very glad to get back to, to normal, whatever that ends up being. OK, thanks again, council member. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or just email me, gustavo.arellano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Keflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.